0: Coming at you live from the margins of a 9-year-old's art therapy book. It's Cartoon Night in Canada. Hey, what you watching? Got
1: a problem with cartoon?
0: to another episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, a nostalgic journey to dig through decades of Canadian animation to find the good, the bad, and the just plain weird cartoons of our childhood. I'm your co-host, Chris Lucy Antonio.
1: And I'm your co-host, Sylvie Kettles.
0: And we are back at it after a tiny personal hiatus, aren't we?
1: Well, you moved.
0: It's true. Uh, and
1: I think you should have really considered uh, your access to internet and the vital importance of this podcast before you would do something so foolish.
0: Well, when I'm packing up like the majority of my life and moving, you know, several hundred like kilometers away, essentially restarting from square one, I'm not too concerned. No offense about a show where I watch cartoons from my childhood and judge them from you know my late twenties. I'm I'm sorry, that's not on the priority list.
1: You and I just have very different priorities, and it's fine to be wrong.
0: You know what? That's that's very fair. Like, I mean. Maybe, like, a year into this show, I'll realize, like, man, I really should have just found a way to bang that episode out, and I really let the podcast down.
1: You you let the people down, Chris. What about the children?
0: Yeah, how dare I delay them, our long-baked opinion on sticking around.
1: <laughs> well, well, they can wait no no longer. Give the people what they want.
0: Granted. So this week on Cartoon in Canada, we are doing Sticking Around, originally created by Robin Steele and Bri- Brianne Leary. Uh, it was produced by Nelvana and originally aired on YTV between August of 1996 and April of 1998. The show uh, started as one minute short films, originally aired on CBS in the Saturday morning, and then got expanded into a three season cartoon because that's just how animation works sometimes. Sylvie, what's your mem- memories of the show?
1: Uh, I remembered it being on a lot and I don't know if they reran some of the shorts because I kind of have these vague memories of it them just being used as like these little splicey bits in between other shows. Or if I'm just misremembering and the show is so chaotic that it just kind of felt like they were just these random little shorts. Um, but the episode that we're talking about today does live in my head rent free. Like I occasionally do fully just think about one scene in particular and I just sit there with it and go, yeah, yeah, that show happened.
0: Well, this is one of those cases where once you see uh, the show in motion and uh, like watch an episode, it's never going to leave the recesses of your mind because quite literally nothing looks or moves like this show, maybe outside of the uh, outside of like the the films and animated experiments of Don Hertzfeld who really kind of brought a degree of prestige to the fine art of stick animation
1: squiggle vision
0: to an extent yeah and sticking around is bearing the title a show about stick figures and their various adventures of fantasy and imagination
1: I think that this is this is one of the shows that really comes to mind when we talk about like Canadian animation just being like so ugly that it sticks in your head, but it's a charming kind of ugly. And I wouldn't even say that this is ugly animation. It's just so simplistic that they really have given themselves free rein to go absolutely buck wild with their movement because they don't need to care about it looking perfect. They just get to go absolutely nuts.
0: I would say, to an extent, it is—I uh, don't want to say ugly, but definitely unpleasant. Especially with the work with uh, the colors and backgrounds in this show. Sometimes, like specifically with close-ups of some of the characters, it's just this deluge of lines and mixed colors and textures. It, it's incredibly abstract, and it's like it—it it offers the, the show a very kind of tangible feel that's unlike anything that was probably airing at the time. It. It looks just a bit off and kind of, like, unsettling.
1: Almost like it's, uh, like, traumatic.
0: <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a second. But the, the idea of the show is, like, to really boil it down, two, two best friends, Stacy and Bradley. Stacy Stickler and Bradley something or other.
1: I don't remember his last name. It doesn't it have doesn't one. Matter. It It doesn't have stick in the last name. Therefore, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, and these two characters are basically beholden to their imagination and have no time for the petty draw of reality. Like, the entire world around them is molded to their specific imagination. And we've dealt with this kind of uh, cartoon before in like the form of Angela Anaconda. But in this case, this is more like there is no base reality. Everything is influenced by these two characters' imaginations.
1: I did find myself thinking about Angela Anaconda at one point and was just like, "Man, the show is like if Angela Anaconda wasn't made out of spite <laughs> and was instead like embracing how much joy there can be in animation <laughs> or imagination."
0: Yeah, that this is specifically it's responding to this idea that like a a child's mind never comes to rest. It is constantly manipulating the world around them to fit their like inner desires and fantasies. And so like uh, an episode of sticking around like we experience, can like jump from one little fantasy fantasy sequence to the next with very little regard for the audience's kind of like seating in reality. Like it, there are layers upon layers of just like imagination going on between these two characters. It's like, it's like falling down a hole in uh we were talking about beforehand, like paprika, wherein it's, like, dream sequence upon dream sequence upon imaginative fantasy, of, of, and it just never comes to rest. God,
1: Paprika's so fucking good. Um, Not the it, point of the conversation, just, I shouldn't I, have mentioned it. I just thought about how good Paprika is again. Um, but it does, it also kind of makes me feel like it reminds, it reminds me of playing childhood imagination games with friends, where, like, kids you're you're bouncing ideas off of your friends and you're just like going yeah and then uh the schoolyard bullies are like frankenstein's monster and a zombie and then your other friend goes yeah and my mom's a fucking jailhouse warden and we're running away from both of them and then someone else goes yeah and also we can fly
0: yeah and like that's why it's the show i think really holds up is because unlike other cartoon again referencing angela Cody here wherein the idea is like this character uh has an overactive imagination and it molds the world around them it's like in in uh, sticking around we're in that imagination there, there's no like boundary to how much things can transform stretch uh transmogrify like both in terms of like uh what's happening in the cartoon and like the plot as well as like with the animation because they there's no set boundary for these characters they can constantly stretch and and uh, meld together it's really it's really like hyperactive and chaotic and for that reason it it holds up better than a lot of like this kind of stiff stuff that we were getting at the time
1: yeah there's there's absolutely no there's also no warning uh when when an, uh, an imagination is about to take hold it's just sort of like one second you're eating beans with your with your dad, and then oops, uh, we're detectives. But also the garden is huge, and also now it's Jack and the Beanstalk, and like there is no A to B to C; it's just A to F with absolutely no in between, and it works.
0: It runs at such a fast clip, and the the way that it it's constantly bridging these like fantasy sequences together, like it it again it it's uh, speaking to a, a children's audience right like, that's the key demographic so they are going to be running with this like especially if they're on like a sugar high like just <laughs> just go with it there there is no it it has no respect for a foundation for any kind of any any kind of grounded plot story it just runs with whatever it can do
1: yeah because kids understand that they don't need your useless mortal logic they're having fun
0: yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I guess before we get into the episode's proper, uh, while reading about this show, as we we try and do a bit of research before every episode, there is a, I don't I don't want to like sound like one of those, uh, you know, YouTubers it's like the creepy unknown origin story of this cartoon from your childhood. Can you believe it?
1: But that's just a theory.
0: Three million views, please. Uh, yeah. So, the the original idea, for, like that, was featured in these those one minute shorts that were produced in uh, ninety four, I believe. Uh, is that the entire series? Like, as we know it, what, what we see are are the actual drawings of an eight year old child who's going through a whose parents are going through a rather messy divorce, and these scribblings are at the behest of her art therapist to help her cope with the anxieties of. A very stressful point in her young adolescence. And yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely something that once you know, you can look at a lot of the things happening in the show and go like, oh, yeah, obviously. Like, even if you don't know the therapy angle, you can see that her parents are divorced, that Stacy's parents are divorced, that she clearly views her mother as this nasty authority figure like she's depicted as a jail warden uh in at the beginning of this episode and i think she appears as a drill sergeant in the opening sequence that banger of an opening and then mm-hmm. uh her dad is the just this bumbling idiot who's like clearly trying but he's not very good at it
0: yeah he's he's got uh he's got some like critical divorce dad energy <laughs>
1: Like, even to the point where in this episode, like, she just says to Bradley, yeah, we're eating at my dad's place. And he's like, no, no. And also, there's some, like, weird shit going on in Bradley's family life, too, because his parents are working until 8 and 9.30 p.m.
0: I mean, it was really refreshing uh, to, like, watch the series and see, you know, kids dealing with those kind of very real, uh, like, Family uh, home lives, wherein your parents are working to long hours in the night just to clothe and feed you, and your parents are divorced. And yeah, I can understand why a, a child like the real Stacey Stickler would just retreat into their notebook and just build a world better than the one she's living in.
1: Yeah, like one where she and her BFF don't need to worry about this because they've got uh, superpowers. And they're awesome at everything they do and like that's absolutely the kind of escape that's very real for a lot of kids living in not so idealized situations where like all the other family situations not all a lot of the other family situations presented by children's media want you to have like that that nuclear family with your stay-at-home mom and your dad who's off working and everyone's loving each other and getting along and occasionally assaulting one another because they're bored. Excuse me? You know, because like older siblings are always seen as like the bullies in a lot of other family dynamics. Or I got thinking about, um, happy or not happy days all in the family a little while ago.
0: Oh, we can't hold that up as any kind of (laughs) nuclear family model, because that was, uh... But
1: but it was sort of, like, this idea, this, like, early sitcom family idea of, like, like the dad just being an asshole, and that's just who he is. Like, to the point where when, when they made the Addams Family, they were thinking, what's the opposite of the average american family and the first thing that came to mind was a husband who loves his wife unconditionally.
0: What a concept, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and what what's so what's so interesting about sticking around is like again, with this kind of uh art therapy angle which is not exactly present in the show but it's it can be read into it when, if you know it. Uh it 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 allows this kind of like uh, unbeholden imagination, like run wild idea, to really take on like this level of pathos. Because yeah, if someone was dealing with these really, I don't want to say traumatic, but difficult depressing. periods in their life, yeah, they're going through a lot of sudden changes, which is a which is a lot to load onto a nine year old. Uh, you can you can understand that like going into this world of constant transformation and weirdness where literally anything can happen. It's a comfort. Like and that's why the this the show despite being so loud, boisterous and occasionally yes, very ugly, it's kind of comforting.
1: God, I bet this therapist is really good. Like they're they're super chill and super supportive of Stacy's art and like every time she goes absolutely off the wall with her idea, they're just sitting back going, "Yeah, yeah, tell me more."
0: <laughs> Man, like so the, the the entire concept of art therapy was ruined for me by uh the movie Parasite.
1: Oh no. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would. It's like just oh, like yeah, art but... therapy just can just be done by a, like just some random poor girl who just walks into a rich person's fans like, "Mm, yes, this this painting it it, it really emphasizes their trauma." <gasps> I knew it.
1: Well, in in the defense of art therapy, I believe in *Parasite*. The point is that the kid doesn't need art therapy or therapy. Um, I mean, he might need therapy, but like the that he he needs an actual art ther- or an actual therapist because the mom doesn't actually want her to therapize. She just wants to hear what she wants to hear.
0: It's very true, but also that just the way that that whole subplot in that film set up is extremely funny, it's and and big. just. It just made me distrust the whole idea of art therapy from now on.
1: It feels slightly unfair, though, to compare Parasite to sticking around.
0: What do you mean? They're they're both great pieces of art. <laughs> they are! And and just jumping off again, like because I, I feel like we really need to spend a long time just on how this show looks.
1: It's so good.
0: Yeah, the concept of it, or at least how it's being pitched, or how it was pitched, was, like, this is a show that your kid could make. Like these are characters that your kid could draw, and these these backgrounds are very simplistic and abstract. That y- you can imagine a kid, which is with a box of crayons, would be able to make this. And but at the same time, it it's really sophisticated for what it is.
1: Absolutely, like we talk a lot in, um, you know, for like the the four or five academics who give a shit about animation, um, the self-reflexivity of the of the medium and how it's a medium that really likes to draw attention to itself as as an art form and so sticking around does that in its concept of like this is a show being made by children and you you could make it too and like by drawing attention to how it's made it can sort of draw the imagination into its like into its concept
0: yeah and like just just looking at it uh because it used a technique of uh, line boil, I believe is, is what they were selling it as. Uh, and I don't have too much information if that's an actual technique, but it's heavily based off of uh, famed animator Tom Snyder's Squiggle Vision. And so you're looking at it like just a segment of any show, and it never comes to a rest. It's just constantly wiggling, like, like vibrating, yeah, and like pulsing. And that's why it's so it's unique of course but so interesting because again you say calling attention to the fact that it's of the medium itself you are constantly seeing the lines move and it's nothing's really that smooth and like sometimes like the the character's colors go outside of their own like you know design lines and it's it's distracting of course but once you go with the flow of it and realize like this is just a chaotic kind of show yeah it it absolutely works
1: absolutely it it was funny when i was researching and i was in like the trivia section and it was like oh this is the the cartoon with the most animation mistakes ever and i was just like i don't i don't think i saw a single mistake they nailed it
0: Like, how could you even find a mistake? What's a mistake in sticking around?
1: Yeah, like, if if you think not filling in the face shape colored properly is a mistake, you're gonna have a bad time trying to count the mistakes in this show. So at some point, you have to just throw your hands up and go, I don't think it's a mistake! Yeah, and
0: it's it's all put together with such reckless abandon, like no again like no character is really set in a single design they they transform constantly and sure like sometimes uh turning around a character's eye could leave like the the boundary of their face but like that's not a mistake that's just the way they're working around this weird ass animation
1: that's just the way the show looks like this is a show where off model doesn't exactly exist
0: yeah th- there is there even a model because like Th- these I'm are doodles. Sure there
1: were model sheets. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna see if there were model sheets.
0: Yeah, I, I imagine there were because again, they they were professionals and they pumped out a lot of episodes in like the three years that they were making the show.
1: Uh, okay, so there's like a portfolio of just like Stacy in different in different costumes. So I guess kind of, but not exactly. But yeah, I assume that they had model sheets, of in some capacity or other.
0: Yeah, nice, nice. So, like, uh, getting into the actual episodes themselves, when we deal with these kind of shows, where it's like, oh, the the these kids' imaginations, like they they're they're running wild, and it's like that's such a fanciful idea. It's it's so encouraging, and we have we have to like nurture that idea. Where in this show, it's like their imaginations are like kind of mean and self-serving and really just kind of dark in many ways as a child's imagination probably would be.
1: They do end up hecking up their neighbor's garden.
0: Yeah. Cause they, they again, they just behold into their imagination. It's like anything around them, like reality ceases to exist.
1: Yeah. They fully disassociate into their imaginations.
0: Yeah. This is actually a very troubling show when you think about it. <laughs>
1: Okay, now we're drifting into game theory territory. Fucking. Stacy was
0: dead the entire time. No. The like the entire show are just scribbled notes on her walls in the insane asylum.
1: Oh god. Like
0: and subscribe.
1: <sighs> so we watched YouTube-ing season is so three, fucking easy. Episode 33, Slime a Bean and Voice of Doom.
0: Now, this is uh, a these were your picks because you, I I believe you pulled out a memory of of the second episode specifically and said, "Okay, this is the one we have to do."
1: I didn't say we have to do this one. I we were just we were talking about this this show, and I just said there is an episode that just exists in my brain, and it's this scene of the two of them competing against one another to throw their voices farther, and they're like calling their shots and throwing their voice and then you were like okay i
0: i I just assume that anyone we jump back into is going to be pretty decent and enjoyable because again the chaotic energy energy of the show is like hey if you don't like where this joke is going it's going to become an entire different genre parody in like two seconds just wait
1: it's very uh very mel brooks approach to comedy of just throw every joke at the wall until you find one that sticks
0: yeah, just the amount of fucking ideas, concepts, jokes, fantasy sequences, they jam into 11 minutes. It's really yeah. impressive, and I, I can't imagine myself binging this show because I think it'd just give me a headache.
1: I think it would get really exhausting to watch like too many episodes back-to-back. And that's I guess that's why it really worked as a like a weekly show or a, even a daily show when it was on reruns.
0: It's probably... It, it, it might have worked best as like the one minute uh, shorts, because yeah, like here, probably. here's one cont- here's one contained idea, and it, we don't need to constantly shake up the formula as we're moving through it, because yeah. like these these plots aren't that because 11 minute show these plots aren't that like deep or really expansive. They're very simple and I and they're followed through really tightly. But again, the, the all of the weight of the show comes from. How these two characters bend the world to their imagination?
1: Yeah, like the plot of um, Slima bean is literally just Bradley doesn't like radioactive lima beans straight out of the can, but turns out uh vegetables are good if your non-white neighbor makes them into real food instead of just dumping a, a can of beans on your plate and calling it dinner.
0: I really love the fact that that character did not have any subtitles or spoke any English.
1: Yeah, no, she just fully only speaks Spanish. She understands English, but speaks Spanish. And then so Stacy has to act as translator for Bradley, which is is just a really neat little little touch for the world. And again,
0: it, it, it just feels like it helps with that kind of chaos of the show.
1: <laughs> I'm just, yeah, on top of everything, you, the audience, unless you speak Spanish, fully cannot understand this lady.
0: Yeah, and... I, just looking at the way this this, this episode is structured, is the, the basic idea is they're going to Stacy's for dinner, and they they go to both her mother and her father, two different households, by the way, divorced parents. And in both cases, the food is bad. That's it. But at every single roadblock along the way, is just their imagination sending them on a like a, another path,
1: on a side quest.
0: Yeah, it's the it's the word I didn't want to use because it's games. <laughs> theory but yeah. yeah
1: also yeah the the mom again the very the very white people way of feeding you tofu of just like ch- slopping a chunk of tofu on the plate and calling that a snack and it's like yeah of course it's gonna be disgusting that way
0: it's it was it was the late 90s and we just love to slag uh health food at the time
1: yeah but the problem is tofu is fucking delicious when you actually cook it in something
0: when prepared properly yeah and <laughs> this is it just a common joke of the time it's like yeah just health food oh you mean just a unseasoned uncooked slab of tofu Wrong. man why would i ever eat this it's like no you
1: can just fry it in something anything please god
0: I, I do love though like because of the way the the show is animated like the the tofu itself just constantly it's just like bouncing. just like jumping up and down and pulsing it's like yeah that's that's great I I I love that little touch
1: undulating brain matter of food it looks so good not look not as in it looks edible it just looks amazing animated
0: again because the show never comes to a rest it can't help itself it needs constant motion it needs like constant stimulation
1: a bit of everything all of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And so after... Like, after that, they give up and go to uh, the dad's place, who is, uh again, massive divorce dad energy, banging off this guy.
1: Like, the full, I can't human on my own. I have failed as an adult.
0: What do you think caused the
1: divorce? I'm gonna say... Uh he had a problem of like willful incompetence that at some point became unwillful. Like he just actually became completely incompetent and uh, the frustrations of ha- for the mother of having to basically raise two children as a single mom.
0: You know, I would like to think that uh, he, cause it was the late nineties. He lost his money in an investment scheme.
1: Ooh, yeah
0: he completely wrecked the family's finances because again he's a he's incredibly incompetent can't even cook dinner for his child on on the night that he's seeing her I'm, i'm even surprised he gets visitation rights
1: yeah and it's like the full oh i forgot that it was my night to cook the normal divorced dad thing to do would be to then order a pizza
0: Order a pizza. It's not so, hard.
1: Yeah, because then suddenly you're the favorite parent because mom's making her eat nasty ass uh, raw tofu, but you ordered a pizza. Boom. Points in the dad column. And he can't even do that.
0: I Analyzing this through the, the concept of the original shorts is that Stacey is working through a very unhealthy living situation where she's bouncing between both family holds and neither of them can take care of her correctly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, her mom seems pretty angry and also a bit neglectful because, like, she just yeets the tofu at them and is just like, cool, bye.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just, uh, again, like, nice mom energy. It's like, well, this is healthy, so it's good for you. It's like, you don't know how to cook, do you?
1: And then if we're viewing it, since we're viewing this through Stacy's eyes, we're seeing her, like, wanting to just throw health food at her as, like, ugh, my mom doesn't care about me and my needs or my wants.
0: It's bleak that way, and and
1: a little bit of a bummer.
0: Can can you imagine if, like, going over to somebody's house and they just give you like, here's a can of vegetables, here's a can of like processed slimy vegetables. This is your meal. This is what you're like. This is what you're fucking eating. Because I don't have any other food. Because I can't take care of myself. So why am I taking care of a child? Doesn't matter. Eat the goddamn beans.
1: Eat your beans, child.
0: And I like just again the The ideas of this show aren't anything impressive. They're not exactly deep with lore. Like the, the, the characters are kind of set in themselves, but at the same time, it's so it it allows for so much so many jumping off points Bec- because like uh the, the 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 bean dinner ends up into a detective parody, which ends up into a Jack and the Beanstalk parody. Yep, I wasn't span of like three minutes.
1: Oh yeah, like that that whole scene me- takes maybe. Four five minutes maximum to get from kitchen table to end of episode.
0: It just blows past so many, like like the the very idea of the plot is left by the wayside as, hey, hey here's a bit we could be doing because the our imagination dictated so.
1: Yep. Oops. We well, uh, we got we got lost in another fantasy world. Sorry, Mrs. Cesaro. Is that her name? I think caesar's in it one sec No, I'm not sticking around salazar
0: mm, makes sense makes sense salazar and so the other one is th- this one went all over the place because i believe <laughs> voice of doom it begins with them just jumping over a sprinkler system right
1: yeah and like kind of doing tricks and so that becomes the imagination of we're surfing and we're it's a surfing contest and that's this episode we do get to meet our good boy dill
0: jesus christ this guy
1: our, our good good boy dill
0: i am just okay so i i do love this character and the way that they record his voice which is like triple tracked and louder than everybody else on the mix but what is this fucker steal?
1: he's just the loud kid
0: The loud kid. That's that's not a character.
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's... I don't know. I I remember there being a kid in my class who was just, like, kind of always yelling. (laughs) Do you know the game Kindergarten that, like, every fucking gamer played?
0: Oh, yeah, I remember that.
1: Okay. Nugget just, like, yells a lot.
0: Okay, I see where
1: you... I'm I'm just trying to see if there's, like, a kid who was based off of Dill because I'm thinking I... Felt a similar vibe off of Nugget that I get from Dill.
0: I, I I I do I do love though that that whole character is just like man he can't control the the volume of his voice and everyone just kind of tolerates him.
1: Yeah, and he just hangs around. They're they're just friends. He says "Holy mackerel" a lot.
0: Yeah, an- another thing is that uh, this show has a lot of uh, catchphrases. Almost every character has their little line that they do.
1: Yeah, Dill's got holy mackerel. Which, like, the f- second I heard it the first time, I was like, "Oh, I'm six years old again." Um, Stacy has real mature Bradley. Mm-hmm. Those are the two that come to mind.
0: The very short bully Russell with the the toque. He's uh, his whole thing is what? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's his catchphrase. And... Um,
1: and then there's the the little girl. Whose catchphrases? What? My dog isn't dead. Why would you suggest that?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a weird little piece of <laughs> strangeness in this show. Is that one of the characters is just constantly dragging around a dead dog,
1: dead poodle on a leash, and was it was apparently edited out of the American? We were talking about this earlier. The American cut of sticking around has removed all reference to pepperoni being dead, and we were just wondering pepperoni how they the did that. Yes, Pepperoni is the dog.
0: It's, I, I don't understand why, like, Canadian audiences were perfectly fine with uh, one of the characters having a dead dog dra- drug behind them at all times, while American audiences were apparently too sensitive for that. I mean, YTV, I guess, didn't care what they aired.
1: I, like, I was trying to think about it. I don't think I knew as a child that the dog was dead. Really? Like, it's entirely possible, and also, I mean, when I was at the age that I was watching this show a lot, I did also, my, like, my, my cat was hit by a car when I was, like, seven, eight, nine, so I might have willfully erased it, and been like, no, it's a stuffed dog, it's it's a stuffed animal that she drags around, what are you talking about, that's not a tire track, that's, that's what, what, that's crazy. I
0: don't, I don't know why you, ne- you had to put that really heavy note on this episode, but thank you for sharing.
1: Like, it has a literal tire track on it, so it's entirely possible that my brain was just like, nah, we're just going to gloss over that and not think about it.
0: <laughs> so what's, this, what's the impetus for uh, Bradley and Stacy to start, like, a voice soaring competition?
1: I think it's just that they're very competitive. like as, yeah, as most kids are. Yeah, like, they're just always trying to... Like, he's mad that she's trying to... That she one-ups him at the sprinkler jumping thing. So he's like, oh, God, I got to find something I can one-up her at. And then he just randomly picks, like, voice throwing out of a magazine. But they can both just do it without training, which is hilarious.
0: Yeah, and the the idea is, like, look how far we can throw our voices. And they're saying, like, we'll we'll bounce it off the Eiffel Tower into the stratosphere. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? That's not how that works.
1: I'm going to bounce my voice off of Uranus. Cause, cause
0: right, that another Bradley God, catchphrase. He,
1: yeah, he makes a Uranus joke in both episodes. Like both halves of this episode have a Uranus. It's like you, you know what? It's always funny.
0: Yeah, to to an eight year old, that's a fucking comedy it's genius. Comedy. Show an eight year old a set by Sam Kinnison or a Uranus joke from sticking around. They'll pick the Uranus joke like nine times out of ten.
1: Every time, ten out of ten. <laughs>
0: that is that's comedy right there
1: cuz it sounds like but
0: yeah yeah that's that's all a kid needs
1: yep <laughs> they just need the implication of <laughs> you said but boom i
0: i do i i do like the really like uh, again abstract idea of this cartoon is like he's throwing his voice and he loses it cuz he yeah. gets too creative with where exactly he's throwing it
1: he, he literally goes too far. He flies too close to the sun. And the drama of Stacy going like, "No, Bradley, it's too much. It's too far." It's so good.
0: It's it's really interesting. And and then this uh then this episode becomes a beat for beat parody of that uh Simpsons episode where uh Bart lowers like the walkie-talkie down the well.
1: When did that episode air? I'm just wondering who I, I'm assuming that it's sticking around, knocking off of The Simpsons, whether on purpose or accidentally.
0: Oh, I can assure you that nobody working on The Simpsons has ever seen a fucking second of this show.
1: You don't fucking know that.
0: <laughs> I do. I think I do because they're, they're they're fucking Harvard graduates in that writers' room.
1: Radio Bart aired January 1992. Yep. So yes. So a full six years before this episode aired, I'm going to assume that someone in this sticking around writing room was like, Simpsons is funny.
0: It's true. Simpsons is very funny. We we could just work around that and condense it into the five-minute back half of this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Just the pacing in this, in this series is they insane. They
1: cram so much into the tiny, allotted amount of time they've got.
0: Yeah, and it's... It's for the for the best, I feel, because I what I really appreciated and what I was really drawn to from the series is how fucking chaotic it feels and how and and just how it never feels it comes to a rest. It's it's ADHD animated, and it's I, again uh, for myself like when I was like ten years old, this is probably my favorite show at one point because I just kind of enamored with just how it just never. It, it it never eases you into anything. It just goes.
1: Yeah, this was definitely like a a childhood favorite of mine. That when when you even first brought up the concept of this show, I was like, "Ooh, gotta talk about sticking around." Gotta.
0: Yeah, I, I have extremely fond memories of the show. If I if I can remember anything before I was like fifteen,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just it was just one of those things that was always there. Like, I think even through high school, it was still occasionally on YTV. And so, like, if I was scrolling by, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to watch Sticking Around again.
0: Yeah, it was in syndication for a long time. And it, it really helped bolster this, uh, this claim of Canadian na- animation that we're working around is so that, like, it's really unique, weird, and of its own kind of, of its own kind of image
1: yeah every time you find one it's not going to look like anything you've seen before
0: and it for that and because of that trait it's going to stick in your memory a lot longer than like a lot of the cartoons that were being released around the time
1: season 7 of fairly odd parents
0: i sure i i i stopped watching that show like four seasons in
1: i mean you're correct you were correct to do so I think that means you stopped watching it like the exact moment it stopped being good.
0: Sure, I'm, I'll take that then.
1: <laughs> we can we can cut my sharp dig at Fairly on Parents late seasons.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure that's a uh, that's a controversial one. I'm I'm sure there will be a lot of people defending it.
1: My hot take.
0: Hey, and and hey, again, another thing is like. There is a there is a cartoon that could have really benefited from just completely giving into chaos and yeah. I mean, you have a 10-year-old with the powers of a god. Why why isn't it more like unsettling? Why isn't it more strange? Why why aren't the backgrounds like look like someone f- ate the actual background and vomited it back up?
1: Right? Got more cartoons needed to embrace chaos. And I know like early 2000s uh, like a lot of animators were experimenting with digital animation for the first time so like it had a bit of a shaky start where they were just like more focusing on getting it to work than they were on like stylism and and like see like like letting it flourish and more just like oh god we gotta get this done um so i'm not gonna fully criticize every cartoon for not embracing stylism but more cartoons should embrace stylism
0: And so not to, what what this really reminded me of, uh, other than obviously Don Hertzfeld, who does a very similar thing with backgrounds, wherein like, there's not a lot of time spent on them because they don't need to. So it's just a lot of abstract colors, images, and uh, like ideas. What this really reminded me of, and I hate to bring it up, is uh, Ren Stimpy, because the creator of that show, who will not be named, couldn't draw backgrounds. Oh, yeah. So the whole idea is they they couldn't draw backgrounds. So it's like just colors, uh, uh, lines, just abstract images and objects and just flowing together. And again, not to praise that cartoon, but it definitely made it
1: stand out. Yeah, it's one of the things that absolutely make people remember that as well as like the absolute wildness of the animation style
0: it and uh, it's such a unique look like i, I i'm just looking through uh, some like screen grabs of the show and it's like there's really nothing really nothing that looks this uh, look, looks this angular looks like this this mess of colors and lines it's it's really it's really fascinating
1: like back to the idea of this being like something that a kid made it does have that energy of here are my characters, oh god, I gotta put them somewhere, well, here's what a house shape looks like, and here's a rough idea of what my dad's kitchen is like, and oh god, there's supposed to be stuff on the countertop, like, I don't know, little, little gray mounds of shapes.
0: It's insane, because, like, you can, a lot of the times with the, the backgrounds, you can see, like, the brush lines of Uh, of them like filling in the color and they do absolutely nothing to hide that and yeah this is this is a show that i'm not even joking like if there were like frames available on ebay i would buy one and frame it because oh
1: would buy the hell out of this i love cells cell collectors are wild where'd you get all that money
0: yeah and like conservatively they they go for like uh even cartoons that no one remembers. It's like, hey, yours it's two hundred and fifty because this was a real cell that was used in the cartoon. It's like, yeah, but no one watched that. So why are you charging me so much for it?
1: Yeah. God, there's a I met a I met like a, a cell salesman at a con once and I was just like I was looking around. There were definitely things that were within my price range. So I was kind of poking around and he seemed to get really annoyed that I wasn't like looking at the really expensive stuff. And so then when I asked like out of curiosity if he had anything from Fantasia, he was like, "Uh, this isn't this isn't a museum." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, no, I was just wondering if you had anything." And I think it was because I asked specifically about that, he apparently had like he was specifically trying to collect all of the um Night on Bald Mountain sequence. From Fantasia. Oh, oh so you so he, you
0: just pressed a button and didn't realize it.
1: Yeah, and so he was just really he was he was fucking pissed that I would dare to ask about Fantasia, and I was like, okay, whatever. I guess I just won't buy this one then. Bye.
0: You you, you should have asked like, hey, you got any sticking around?
1: <laughs> well, I'm looking at up. I don't think that any of those have been sold. Like. The only sticking around bits that I'm finding are Nelvana's production storyboards.
0: Yeah, that'd still be pretty nice to have.
1: Yeah, and those are going for a pretty reasonable rate, like forty to sixty bucks range.
0: Oh hell yeah, uh, uh, listener! Don't 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 do anything. Don't, Mind your business.
1: No, don't. It's, shh, go away. These are these are not for you. I mean, we'll we'll put this. We'll delay the release of this episode until we've got the one we want.
0: So anything else to add about sticking around other than it absolutely rips, holds up, and is one of the best depictions of childhood imagination ever committed to sell?
1: Slaps hard. Uh, Opening is awesome. Um, Is an absolute middle finger to uh, Rudolf Arnheim. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that guy.
0: That will be the legacy of this this mid tier Canadian cartoon of stick figures.
1: (laughs) Fuck Rudolph Arnheim.
0: All right, I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Cartoon Night in Canada. Thank you for joining us once again on this odyssey through our childhood of many, many cartoons. You can find us on Twitter at Cartoon Night Pod. I'm at Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Cinemacreep.
1: I am on Twitter and uh, TikTok for the youths of today uh, at Sylvie Skeletons.
0: And take it easy. Stick around, why don't you?
1: We'll be right back. We're back.
0: No duh. We're done. (laughs) We're done.